a few different things happening in the scriptures today. One is the first section from the book of Kings is talking about David's ancestor, Solomon. And then we got into Mark's gospel and Jesus is dealing with a Syrophoenician. Doesn't matter where she's from. It, just that she's an outsider. That's the key piece here. And David is the one who united the peoples of Israel. His, his uh, father led him to um, victory when he was anointed by Solomon, uh, excuse me, uh, Samuel. His son is Solomon. Everybody knows Solomon. The name of Solomon, is the, the power of Solomon, the glory of Solomon. But this is like one of those times in Scripture in which you don't quote Scripture. People always say to me, oh, you know, the Bible says, the Bible says, the Bible says, you know, and I want to say, show me where the Bible says and read the whole message of the Bible, not just what you want to hear. Because people pick, they take it like a Chinese menu. They pick one from here, one from here, one from column A, one from column A. That's not how the Bible works. So the context is very important. Jesus talking to this outsider is important for the gospel. Solomon had many wives. Not unusual at the time. And if we go to the, the, the Bible and say, well, you know, Solomon had many wives, why don't we, aren't we allowed to have many wives? The scriptures with Jesus Christ begin the New Testament. The scriptures of the Old Testament have their own rules and regulations. The, 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 the one that stands out the most, we all know about, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Oh, vengeance, vengeance. That's in the Bible. Well, it's in the Bible of the Old Testament. It's part of our scripture. It's our ancestry, but it's not authentic anymore. Jesus outruled that. Jesus changed that by the law of love. So we can't quote the Bible, as, as beautiful and as sacred as the Bible is, without quoting the context in which we're pulling out the quote. Okay, so what's going on with Solomon? Solomon is supposed to be dedicated to God, Yahweh. And he was introduced to Yahweh by David. Okay, And it was the culture to marry many wives, have many children. That was the whole idea of it. The more you had, the better, the better chances at better crops and people working on your land and leadership and all that. So he comes along and he acquiesces to his various wives who were outsiders, pagans, just like that Syrophoenician woman. That's why both scriptures are here back to back. His wives were outsiders. And you heard, as, as um, uh, Carol read, Solomon built a temple in Chemosh for an idol of Moab and to Molech for the idol of the Ammonites and so on and so forth. And it goes on and on and on. And God says to him, hey, wait a minute. There's only one God. And Yahweh is who you're supposed to be following. That's why we hear so much of the prophets. The prophets are the ones who corrected the kings. Anytime you have a reading from the book of Kings, you would think there would be accolades for the kings. Not true. When we read anything about the book of Kings, it's about the misdeeds of the kings. And that's in the, in the opening lines of the book of Kings. 
the kings after David were not hot, not not good. They were they were they took bribes. They worshipped false idols. They got into political intrigue with with people that they should not have political intrigue with, and so the prophets keep rising up and criticizing the kings. So this story is just another criticism of another king, a very famous king, Solomon, because he messed up. See, God is a very jealous God, in, in, especially in the, New, in the Old Testament. He's alone. He's Yahweh. He's the revealed one, revealed through Moses, revealed through, through his word, through the commandments. And the first law is you shall not have other gods before me. Now, we read that today and we say, well, well thank God, that, that, that doesn't apply to us because we don't have other gods, but we do. Anything that takes priority over gods, people in the 21st century have made gods. Not gods that they put on a pedestal and worship, but gods that they adore. Money, power. Why do you think the world's in such a mess, messed up situation? Power, money, greed, and jealousy. They're all gods. Oh, they don't, they're not statues of gods, but they're gods. They're, they're spirits of evil, and people worship them. Oh, they don't go and put incense in front of them, but they act out of that milieu. So when Yahweh is reminding Solomon, you're screwing up bad, Solomon. There's only one God, and I am your God. The kick there is you don't see that God. There's no pictures of him. There's no statues of him. You can't make images of him. So it's the connection that we have with the, the covenant, Ten Commandments, that we have an idea who that God of the Old Testament is. Same God of the New Testament, but identified as the God of the Old Testament. Jesus comes on the scene, puts an end to that by fulfilling the Old Testament. More than once we hear Jesus came to fulfill the Old, not to abolish, to fulfill the Old Testament. So now we look to Jesus. And Jesus is coming in contact with an outsider. Oh, good. So, so our, our antenna are, are go up. He's dealing with a, a Greek woman, Syrophoenician by birth, who's not a, a, a Jew. So that, right off the bat, that's prohibited. Because men could not talk to women in public and definitely not pagans, pagan women in public. Okay, so she finds out, which is interesting, because this is the really subtle change. She finds out Jesus is local. She goes over and says, Jesus, can you hear my, my kid? She's sick. And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to take the, the, the words, the food that I came to give to the people of Israel and toss it to the dogs. He insulted her. I mean, he called her a dog. I can't give you good, good news. I can't give you God's blessings. You're a dog. Interesting, she challenges him and says, even the dogs eat scraps that fall under the master's table. Her determination and her wisecrack impressed Jesus. And he says, because you said that, your child is healed. She expressed faith in Jesus coming through the back door. It's like you and me introducing Jesus through 
prayer and, and affirmation and witnessing to a non-Catholic. and say, this is why I go to church. I believe in Jesus. I believe Jesus is with me. I, I believe Jesus hears my prayers. And saying that to a non-believer, non-Catholic, non-Christian, they say, oh yeah, oh yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. But we do. We don't have a hold on the market. We open the doors to everyone. But we keep our grounding. We keep our faith in Jesus. That's why we come here. Because we believe he's with us. When we receive the communion, we believe it's the body and blood of Christ. It's not a symbol. It's not a piece of bread. It's nothing else other than the body and blood of Christ. The actual body and blood of Christ. Which is very important for the Catholic. And we can't forget that. Because that's the, the heart of our faith. People outside us are certainly welcome to come in. Strangers, we open the doors. Jesus did that too. He, he thanked the Syrophoenician woman for being so bold. And for saying his words nourished the believer and nourished whoever hears them even, quote, the dogs. And Jesus is impressed with that. Well, we should be too. We should be impressed with having our faith in Jesus, Jesus nourishing us, us following the word of Jesus, and always be willing to share our faith with the outsider, share our faith with the non-believer. Sometimes those non-believers are in our families. Nevertheless, share it. That's what the whole idea of evangelization is. Sharing evangelists, sharing the word, sharing the good news. That's why we're here today. To be nourished on the word and the Eucharist and go out and share it. And our doors are open to everyone.